Everybody, 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 drop your buff, stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And I'm back. I was not here last week. We had back, the back, back again. wonderful Brian Corden from Survivor Guatemala, which was a surprise guest for me a little bit. Like, because I couldn't do it. I was away traveling and I was like, Evan, time to find a guest. And you found a good one. Like, he was really natural as a podcaster. He was. And he, sometimes you have someone on who, you can tell, watch the show for the podcast. And I don't just mean drop your buffs. I just mean sometimes you can tell it's not someone that would regularly watch Survivor. And Brian like, is clearly a scholar of the show. Yeah. I'm su- I was just surprised listening that you don't get Brian on our hap as a regular guest because he just doesn't show up in the podcast world. And yet he's such a natural and has so many great insights. He's not afraid to criticize the show when it deserves to be criticized, but also enjoys the show. Like, I feel like he strikes the right balance for the Drop Your Buffs audience. Absolutely. So tell me this much, because you and I have not connected about this offline. How did I do as the driver of the bus? (laughs) You did great. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you you did great. Okay. Um, I will say, I, I say this to you all the time, and our listeners probably, like, instinctively know this, but, like, I'm just such a lost little lamb without Sean, because... Just, I mean, you do so many things for this podcast, but one of the many is like, just keep it structurally sound. And so without you, I just feel like very like, I was like, oh, like, how, how do, how does one recap something? I felt very lost. (laughs) So thank you. That's very, I was not even fishing for a compliment. I was genuinely just hoping I made you proud. No, you did great. So this concludes your annual performance review. Okay, thank you. The one thing I was like, because I was like, okay, well, at least right before we went on, I Googled the name of the episode, because I was like, that's the one thing I know that we lead with. But then I was like, outside of that, I was like, we're free falling here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, this week, we are talking about episode eight, which is named Don't Get Cocky Kid. It came from Kane. I was trying to think about who this was going to come from when I saw the episode title in advance. Kane was not on my list of possible people to give it. Is it Kane or is it Matt? Did you catch this editing Mm, mistake? I did not. Okay, so in one of Kane's, it might even be the confessional where he said this quote, don't get cocky, kid. Uh, The editors did not use Kane's lower third. They used Matt's lower third. They put Matt and all of Matt's information. Matt, who is not in the game anymore. Can we screenshot this for the social? Sure we can. Although, can I make this week's grid post? Absolutely. Okay, I have it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to, yeah, I'll, I I just know how I want it to look. Yeah. Um, no, I did not catch that, but that is strange. So so they, it was just a mistake that was left in. Totally. I think that just is, nobody caught it. That is fascinating. I just don't know how that stuff goes through. That's Me just neither. Like, I'm just surprised it doesn't get caught because it was like the second it went on screen. Right, but also the like Twitter in theory. Twitter lit up. Yeah, in theory, someone's like entire job is lower thirds. So I just feel <laughs> yeah. like that's like a big mistake for like the person who like, no disrespect to the lower third person, but like the job is pretty simple, I think. 
But then cut to like the fact that they have like a million responsibilities. Cut to this being like casting. Like this is one of their like sidebar things that they have to do. This and, is like before it before Jeff gets on the hot mic right. to record on Fire he's with like, Jeff Probst. He's doing the lower thirds. Look, but budget restraints. Everyone's feeling them. I wanted to talk about that actually later in the podcast. I wanted to, and maybe this is part of a larger discussion, but I've been thinking a lot about, it was something that I think Brian brought up or maybe something I was listening to on a podcast. Maybe it was on our half, but someone talking about just budget in general and thinking about, it was talking about how much survive this. Oh, it was on Twitter. Someone was was talking about how much. It was Malcolm. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yes, talking about, how much the show costs to make and this idea that like part of the reason that the show is the way it is these days is because of this lowered budget and just think i, I want to like talk that through a bit more because i think there's that's there's something fascinating in in considering that hmm. okay, especially well. when <laughs> when <laughs> big brother which is you know the spiritual contemporary to survivor takes place over an entire summer uh-huh. And has all um has to feed them constantly. Where Survivor saves a lot of money on budget in terms of not having to feed the I contestants. Albeit, don't know about that. Well, yeah, you're right. Albeit, they have to pay. They have. To I feed think that, that like, Big Brother plus. is an incredibly cheap show to make. And you think Survivor is an expensive show to make? Yes, I'm. It's all. Ba- it's because of the location filming. So I guess my question would be like let's move the location filming. Like it just, it seems like a very, uh, a more simple solve. And I guess, you know, what do I know? And then also in terms of like the scope of production, like the 600 people, not that I want people to lose their jobs. That's not my point at all. But I'm saying it's like, does it need to be so epic in scope? Is that the thing that people, that makes Survivor Survivor? Hmm. Because thinking back upon season one, and how much we love the sort of like found footage aspect of the show yeah. and sort of how, you know, on the run everything was. Anyway, conversation for another day. But I've just been thinking, well, actually, but real quick, sorry. But while we're on this subject, do you think, and I'm not asking based off of any rumor or anything you might have heard, but like, it seems I'm seeing some stuff that like we're going to return potentially to 39 days. Are you? What? I haven't seen this. Okay. Where'd okay. you see this? I don't know. Maybe it's in my head. This is maybe breaking news. No, 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 no. It's in my head. It's in my head. Mm. Have you been talking to people? I haven't. I swear. <laughs> no, part of me, like, in saying this, I- I'm biting my tongue because not because I'm, like, trying to be coy. Um, I don't know. I felt like I I didn't hear it, like, firsthand. I felt like I saw it. There, so you're, so, so I'll say that there's been murmuring. So this week uh, in Survivor News, the website Survivor Insider, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very reliable website for light spoilers. And when I say light spoilers, I mean like casting spoilers, theme spoilers, etc. Not not like boot spoilers. Uh, did report that Bruce is on season 45. Bruce, who was our first medevac from episode one of 44, who Jeff said on his podcast is welcome back anytime he wants. Uh, originally, it sort of sounded like he probably couldn't swing it to take the time off to go uh, and do 45. But uh, Survivor Insider is reporting that Bruce is on the cast of Survivor 45 and that he is, as far as they know, the only returnee on that cast. So, we, so we've so we potentially got 
a returning player, the first since season 40. It's a little bit of a unique situation, you know. Um, but who was the returning player from Drag Race UK? Was it Victoria Scone? Yeah, Victoria Scone. Uh, so it's kind of like that well, sort also, of a situation. Well, also, no, sorry. Uh, well, Veronica Green. Oh, that's it. Was earlier. No, but you're right. Because Victoria came back for um, Canada versus the world. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm getting all confused. No, but you're right. Like both of both yeah. of them returned. But I think you meant Veronica. But with this, yeah, with the situation of like but, she got COVID and then was invited back to the next season. It's sort of a similar situation to that. Yes, I think so. This can go one of two ways. There's the Veronica Green route, which is that you think you want something more of something. And then when you get more of it, you realize that it's like the original dose was the correct amount. Um I'm kind of thinking about how like all of the people that just finished watching Drag Race season 15 are like, bring back Irene. Irene was the first boot and everyone's like, oh my God, like we need more of Irene because like she really popped on the reunion, et cetera. And it's like, I have this theory that's like, that is how Irene was meant to be in the Drag Race canon. Mm. To bring her back is not necessarily going to like reap more reward. Sometimes like the reward is exactly dosed how it should be. But then I think about Eureka, who was on season nine of Drag Race, similar to Bruce, had a, had a, a medevac, if you will, in the world of Drag Race, uh, came back for season 10 and then made it all the way to the top four. But also, like, I don't know if people were like really vibing with Eureka. I do feel like as fair and diplomatic as it is to bring Bruce back, he is the least exciting possible mm -hmm. person to bring back of this cast only because outside of maybe Kane, only because there are so many people in this cast, especially that have already been booted, that I would love to see get a second chance at the game. So I just don't think anyone is like, at, yes, it's always sad when someone is medevaced from the game, but I don't think we necessarily need to, I don't think there's like a heavy campaign for uh, a bring Bruce back faction of the fandom. But I mean, I don't know, maybe he'll come back and pop. Maybe yeah. he'll have a Francesca, though, you know? Maybe. That's totally possible. I, I do wish that if we were going with sort of like first boots, we could have brought Maddie back, who is still my winner pick for Survivor 44, um, because I think well, she we've has so much potential. But I feel like yeah. at least this Bruce thing opens the door, right? Because for so many seasons now, I mean, well, four, they have not been bringing people back. And Jeff has even been adamantly talking about uh, extending that not bringing people back for some time. And so by bringing Bruce back, we are stepping our, you know, dipping our toes into the water, so to speak. And maybe, maybe Bruce will pop off in 45. And Jeff will be like, wait, maybe there's more untapped potential in our Hey, you know, from your lips alum. to the Survivor God's ears. I do think if there's anything that I think could be the middle ground here, it's really returning to the fans versus favorites format because mm. it allows you to have the returning players that sort of appease people like you and I who who want, you know, bring back our girls. Um, but it allows for new players to kind of enter the fold. And plus, I think it creates a fun dynamic. But the funny thing about like doing a modern fans versus favorites is a lot of the favorites are themselves fans. So it's sort of like, when do you transcend into... It's kind of like thinking about Eric when he returned for Game Changers. Because it's like, you know, he plays Micronesia, big fan energy. You're talking about Eric Reichenbach. Yeah. He returned for the next fans versus favorites. Oh my god, as, yeah. a, fa as a favorite. Yes. 
That was the gag. Fascinating. Okay, well, that's okay. Okay, so that's fascinating. So I would be curious to see if the because I feel like he did not exactly come back to the game. He, the the fan energy was still felt from him. Yeah, I would be curious if a player would come back because I'm confident they will eventually do a fans versus favorites three. I'm wondering if like there's an energy switch where it's like you get a whole different version of the player and they're way more mm. in their you know survivor bag. Well, like Parvati in the original Fans versus Favorites. Exactly. Yes. And I actually disagree a little bit that I would like to see a Fans versus Favorites because actually, obviously the first one is iconic. The second one, not so much. Uh, but the problem with it is that, yes, the favorites tend to be like really exciting to watch. The fans flops every time. Almost every time, with the exception of Natalie Bolton and maybe Eric Reichenbach, the fans Wait. are flops. But so Wait. I would, well, go ahead. There's one more. Uh, oh, well, Tracy Wolf. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tracy Wolf Hughes. Yeah. I mean, yes, truly. But like, bring her back for fans versus favorites. Concur. Because where else are we going to get her? But I will say that I think that I like the concept of half returnees, half newbies, but I think there is a much better way to do it, and that is blood versus water. I think blood versus water is yes. truly the most interesting uh, thematic twist Survivor has ever done. Also, another possible twist is to do the fans versus favorites, but, but switch up, but basically have half returning players and then half reality television stars that have never played Survivor. So kind of like integrating the Challenge USA sort of format into Survivor um, and bring in established people, but that have never played the game. Survivor the Traitors. I mean. Let's do the Traitors Survivor. Huh. Yeah. Well, I would kind of like it. Okay, so what if it's sort of like an amalgamation of the two and they're like stuck at the castle? So they have like all of the mm. accoutrements that come with living in a castle, but they can't leave and they can't But talk in a to big brother outside. sense, they can't leave yeah. the castle. That's sort of, I okay. think, fun. Okay. You've got contacts at Peacock, right? It's true. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, okay, we're 14 minutes into this podcast. Let's talk about the episode from last night, this episode eight, Don't Get Cocky Kid, because I have to say, this was a bit of a breath of fresh air for me. Like, uh, was it the best episode of Survivor I've ever seen? No, but I will say that it's one of the best of the season so far because it had a more or less straightforward format, which is the first in a very long time. Uh, our first real merge vote where everybody voted and everybody was eligible to vote and only one person had immunity. Uh, we had like a classic idol play, which negated the majority of votes. Hadn't seen that in a long time, uh, especially when the idol was played for another person. And, uh, you know, the target went home. I think it like... It, sort of a straightforward in terms of strategy of there are some things I'd like to get into, like the ways that Tika voted. Um, but I just, it was, it was just a little bit of a relief last night to not be bombarded with different twists and advantages. How Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm completely, completely aligned. And that seems to be the fan sentiment online that I'm seeing. The overwhelming response I'm seeing. I mean, I feel, I think I feel a little bit higher on the episode than you do. Cause I would say this was like, this was, Definitely my favorite episode of the new era. Mm. I had a blast, and I have for two particular reasons, which I'll mention in just a moment. But I feel like I wonder if... I'm always curious how much the producers are 
maneuvered by the fan response. And there seems to be this sentiment that's like, the purer the gameplay, as was the case in an episode like this, the more the fans seem to be happy. Because it's like, we're seeing our show unobstructed that we love. I'm wondering if that impacts them at all. I mean, I know they're in production on 45. I don't think they're going to see, you know, a bunch of tweets and say, okay, we need to reroute. But I wonder if, you know, on the whole, they sort of see the fact that last week's episode had so much, you know, people were so up in arms over it. And then cut to this week, a more traditional episode of the show, and everyone's really happy. And I wonder if they feel that at all. Mm. Um, So yeah, but, but big thumbs up. I would say... I'm going to, I mean, they're the two obvious moments, but they have to be dissected. We'll go for the, I guess we'll go, let's start with the less iconic into the more iconic with the understanding that they're both quite iconic. But first, (laughs) let's touch down on Danny's fart. Ah, Um, yes. The fart heard around the world. Heard around the hallways of CBS. Now, let's first myth bust here. Yeah. Was that, in fact... Danny's fart that we heard on our screens. Absolutely not. Absolutely no way. Not. No way. You would have to mic his ass to get that. And while I would love to have <laughs> ass <laughs> mics. <laughs> well, I would love to have the job of miking Danny's ass. I don't think that they are uh, hiring for that position. I mean, I know there's 600 people working on this show, but I don't think that is one of the positions that is currently open. And so without actually miking that, you're never going to get that clear of a fart from the mic that's hidden in his buff on his neck. Uh, and so it's just not going to happen. And so you have to enhance the fart a little bit. I'm sure that there were glimmers of his real fart in the audio, but buried in the mix. Do you know what I mean? How do you feel that they did with regards to finding the right balance? Because I would imagine most people that don't have the ear that we do, most people I think would interpret that as a, a, what's the word, diegetic fart? What does that mean? What did I'm Googling? (laughs) Diegetic. Oh my God. Well, I'm correct. Yeah. So a diegetic, oh my gosh. So I learned about this in my documentary film class all these years ago. My God, it stays with you. It really does. Um, Diegetic means it happens in the moment. Non-diegetic would mean it would be like overlaid onto something. So like a non-diegetic sound is something that's put in in post to make you, the audience, feel a certain way. Whereas like diegetic Mm -hmm. would be happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, it sounds like this was a combination. Like we had the fart, but we had to enhance it. But like what percentage of the viewer do you think understand, like had no question around the authenticity of the fart? Oh, probably 90%. Yeah. I mean, I think they I mean, did a good a job. It was a realistic fart. It was a realistic fart. It was a realistic fart. fart. It wasn't like too, like, sound effect fart. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, no. I they think- hired They hired a Foley artist to go in there, get some takes of farting They took the sounds. budget that was going to go for the lower <laughs> thirds, and they were like, we'll, we'll allocate this toward the fart. <laughs> But um, I think what really makes the moment pop and why I think it is like someone farting is not in here. I don't I don't I'm not like a fart humor person, mm. but I loved, loved the detail of him saying Jeff. Yeah. Him calling Jeff's attention. <laughs> and then Jeff responds. And I think he says, Danny, there's a, a micro beat and then yeah. the fart. And I think that's what makes the moment land. And it's so interesting. I. I do we give production credit for keeping this moment in? Because you have to imagine mm-hmm. people fart on the oh, show yeah. from time to time. This is an easily cuttable moment that they kept in. It's pretty It's pretty great. 
I think I have heard rumors that people have shit themselves during endurance wow. challenges. And so they don't keep that in. <laughs> Thank God. Like, I don't need to see that. Well, right. maybe on the DVD. But I think that keeping this in was the right move. I think it tells us something about Danny. It gives Jeff a little levity in a moment mm-hmm. that he's not in control of. So often we get Jeff being goofy on his terms, where this was done to Jeff. And as we heard from Courtney Yates all those years ago when we interviewed her, she told us that, you know, many people who came after her have told her, oh, I tried calling Jeff Jeffrey and they shut it down. Like Jeff is not going to be the butt of a joke. Here he's literally the butt of a joke. And they kept it in. And I like that. I really like that. He's the and I think it also like tells us something about Danny. Like I learned something about Danny in that moment. As trivial as it may be. It's not trivial, though. Like, it's trivial and it's not. It reminds me of the moment earlier on in the episode when Carolyn is paired with Carson and has Mm -hmm. this sort of, like, the question is, oh, Carolyn, would you want to go with someone else? And she's like, absolutely not. And in that moment, you don't need the talking head, but in that moment, what it says is, Carolyn, like, loves this person, like, loves him. It's more than an alliance. She's happy to lose the challenge in order to stick with her friend. And I think in, like, there's a version of the edit in which you needed that, or not, not you needed, but you were given that sort of, like, let me explain why I'm stick, sticking with Carson. Mm-hmm. I like that, like, they allowed a moment like that, or the Danny moment. It's like, you almost expect Survivor to have the talking head or something that, like, addresses the fart more, but it just was like, the fart happened, you get a few great facial reactions, and then we move forward. Yeah. Which is great. It's iconic. Um. It was really, really good. The other moment that I think is, I would say it's going to be, it's up there with one of my favorite moments ever on the show. I do feel comfortable saying that. Let's revisit this though in some time because remember my Scream 6, uh, uh-huh. I gave it an 8.5 and then I think we like leveled uh-huh. down to we a 7. Yeah. yeah, so let's see. But the moment of Carolyn in the, uh-huh. like, uh, it's basically just like a it's like a, the, it's like a twisted intestine. I was going to say. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the howls or whatever I don't even know the noise how you would describe it, but the noises she was letting out, the way it was shot and then Carson's energy uh due to his <laughs> yeah. his um sickness from the peanut butter and jelly, all of that coalescing and then the fact that like everyone else is like whipping through the challenge. So, ever, and then also, I will say there's Joe Gunn, I think it is, on Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll repost this. But he did a super cut that's like just yeah. pulling out the moment. Or no, no. I think it was H. Allen Scott, actually. Yeah, anyway, it, was, it was. Yeah. But pulled these moments out and made it just like one long 30-second clip. It's just, it's cinema. Yeah, it was really, really great. Like, I think one of the funniest. We've gotten a lot. I, I think I've said before there was carolyn gave us one of the funniest moments i think it was the uh uh journey to advantage island uh where she was stuck there with brandon and danny and then we just had her slapstick comedy hour and then they go back and make fun of josh's idol like i thought those were the funniest moments but this is definitely up there carolyn has given us uh, at least three very iconic moments this season so far so yeah loved it loved it and it's also really satisfying I like not having to worry about Carolyn's place in the game. 
And it seems like that's we have a few more episodes at, at least um, where Carolyn is not a target, and like that's how it should be. I really, mm-hmm. I, I want to see Carolyn thriving in the game, but I also don't need Carolyn to be the main character of the entire season. She's actually a really great side character, and I felt yeah. like this was like this episode was like exactly the the right dosage of Carolyn. It was so funny, but also it's like. As difficult as that looks, like what you do to get out of that seems pretty simple, right? You grab onto the rope and then you just flip your body with it. I couldn't understand like what wasn't like what wasn't she getting about how to do it? I understand if it takes you a while because it's difficult, but like she was making no progress and then until she was, but like at what point did like the light switch come on for her and she was like, like, and up until that point, how was she interpreting how this challenge is done? Cause it seems like a pretty simple thing to do. So it would seem like you might be slow, but you'd be making progress slowly. But like, she seemed just like entirely caught. Uh, yeah. The light, the light switch did not turn on <laughs> as you saw. They were the eliminated pair in that immunity challenge in the first stage and everybody had to come help her. Very similar to last season. Remember, Noel got caught yes. in this exact same contraption, and everybody yes, went yes, and helped yes, her. Yes, yes. There we got a tearful moment with Jeff. Here we just got this. This actually, like, I really like, and and I liked that Noel moment. I just sometimes those like overwrought production choices that like, don't sit well with me just because I'm like a curmudgeon. But in this case, it was nice to see we did get the shot of everybody going over there to help Carolyn out, but we didn't have to make a big deal about it. Yes, she was fully stuck. Like I like that as well. I was craving. I guess this is maybe a fun question to ask Carolyn after the fact, but like I would have loved to know, like when she did emerge, what was the mindset? Was she like, "LOL, that was hilarious"? Because you have to imagine, like they went into that challenge knowing they weren't pulling out a victory, (laughs) and I think that they were like settled on it because they didn't really have a target on them going in, so it wasn't a high stakes situation for them. But I do wonder, like, did she come out? Was she, like, disoriented? Was she crying? Was she laughing? I would love to have known her state of being in that moment. But I agree with you that, like, I think part of the... uh, I think it's a savvier move on the edit for us to not know. But I also loved the fact that there was this pair that was chosen where Carolyn is doing the charity work by getting... Uh, paired up with Carson, who is ill, and it's assumed that Carson is going to be the one dragging them through the challenge, or being dragged through the challenge. And yet, Carson never gets to attempt the challenge because it's Carolyn who can't complete yeah. the first stage. And so, yeah. like, I th- I just really like that as a pairing. And by the way, I... Although it didn't come to much, I really liked that they were asked to pair up before the challenge. We've talked about this before because so often, especially in reward challenges... They will be randomly assigned groups of people. We don't see that happen. It's a rock draw. And we have requested many times on this podcast that uh, we go back to the schoolyard pick. Uh, And Jeff has talked about that and that it just like doesn't lead to a lot of content. But there is something there and it reveals social uh, relationships that are forming that maybe you know about, maybe you don't. But And and it's interesting to see those sort of get called out in public uh, at something like a challenge. So I really liked this idea of like giving them tree mail and, and and harkens back to the early seasons of like 
tree mail is going to tell them a bit about the challenge and they have to do mm-hmm. something before the challenge. And so to come up uh, and get themselves in pairs and you have uh, like, I think two really interesting decisions here. One, Carolyn going with Carson and then everything that happens there. And then Danny going with Lauren and kind of being like, I don't even want to be with her. She sucks. And I want to vote her out. And then lo and behold, Lauren ends up beating Danny in the end. So I feel like that little twist, although minor and like not super significant, did lead to like an interesting narrative for the episode. Absolutely. And it was able to give us screen time with Lauren that we've not yet had because of her mm-hmm. win. And also, mind you, I saw this online. Uh, Lauren is the first black female in individual immunity winner in the new era. Um, yes. So what a great moment for Lauren. And, and her reaction was like really, really great television. I sort of I loved the um, it's like at once surprise and delight and like the confluence yeah. of those two emotions at the same time. So I agree with you. I, I, I yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, totally love, love them pairing off. And I like the idea that they didn't know whether or not this was a pair that was going to be helping them or hurting them. And I yeah. think having that, and so that's why if they continue this next season, I think they sort of need to roll the dice with mm. it. And it can't always be how it played out in this one. I do think though that like, there's this weird thing with like when they design these challenges where like, it's like, it could be so much more streamlined where it's like, so you have five pairs and then four of them are, go into round two. So you lose one pair in round one, but then you lose two pairs in round two. So then you're left with two pairs and then those two pairs break off and become four. And I'm just like, did did we need that? Like, did we need the and why why one pair in the first round and not two? Yeah. So if I were going back, it's like it seemed like the obvious thing to do was have it be two pairs are eliminated in the first round, two pairs are eliminated in the second round, and then the one remaining pair have to split off and go head to head. Like it oh, makes yeah, that so fun. much more sense. I just am curious, like when they're like yeah. gaming all of this out, how they land on these seemingly like random numbers. Um, But yeah, ultimately really rewarding to watch. Speaking of rewarding, where was the reward? Yeah, no reward. I really thought when they were pairing off, I was like, oh, this is for reward. Surely they're not pairing off for immunity. Uh, But lo and behold, they were. It's possible that there was a reward that was edited out. I've been hearing more about this, that that rewards are getting edited out of the show. Yeah, and I have to say, too, it's like... I didn't miss it. I didn't miss it, but I did think it was something I definitely noted. And I also feel, and I think this is partially because I'm... Um, at at once also watching Survivor Australia season two, which I got to say, I'm about halfway through. I'm pretty mid on, to be honest. But anyway, uh, they're like about, I'm about halfway through and they're like on day, I mean, at 30, who knows? There was something that stood out to you know, this episode of being like, because this season has felt long in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like mm-hmm. there's just like, they have gotten a lot of story, a lot of character. So to hear that it's like day 15, I think it was. And I know like, this is just, it's fact, baby. But like, I did, it just, it does stand out to me every time where I'm like, oh my God, we're this deep in the game and it's like two weeks in. Yeah. There's just, I think I that will always be very jarring to me because I'm like, these people still really don't know each other like that well. Yeah. Um, Not that like, if it was, you know, day 26, it's completely different, but I do think it's substantially different. But anyway, that stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, well, the good news is that we've started a rumor that the next season is 39 days. So yeah, great. Maybe back, great, great, maybe great. back to normal. Great. <laughs> but my guess, so wait, but going back to that real quick, do yeah. you think, so when they first introduced the 26 day game, it was said to be as a result of COVID. 
do you think all along is is the reason why we're playing a 26 day game ultimately because and has always been because of budget uh well, not always been. No, I mean, in the beginning, I believe it was actually because of COVID. Okay. Um, and I mean, like tied to budget, obviously, that they couldn't be in Fiji forever. Um, it probably is very expensive to be there every day that you're there. So they had to make the most of it. Now they realized they can do that and can probably save a little money now without quarantining, et cetera, et cetera, things that they have to do with had to do with COVID. And so why not? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a reality show. I'm sure that its budget is not even consistent in the way that like Malcolm f- believes it is on Twitter. Uh, their budget is probably like cut a little every year based on what I know of TV. I gotta say on the Malcolm thing, like a lot of these alumni are like really emerging this season. Like, well, this is the thing because I, so I was not here last week and last week seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of alumni and mm-hmm. survivor commentators. And I found that interesting for a couple of reasons, because I think that the straw that broke the camel's back came for us a long time ago, right, in this new era, uh, where even 42, which is considered like one of the better seasons of the new era. I, I, so I'm just not the biggest fan of 42. I can't put my finger on why, but like, there's some people which that Which one? Like, 42 Marianne? It's the Marianne winning season, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, I think it had a it had a strong start. It had a great end, but that middle period really dragged for me. And then 43, obviously, absolute disaster. Um, and so it's just surprising that, like, 43 even wasn't the breaking point for people. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe 43 just left a bad taste in people's mouth. And then coming into this, they were ready to be more critical than usual. But... I just think it's interesting that that's what really set everybody off because the number of alumni coming out being like, this is this is trash. This is not the show that I fell in love with. This I wouldn't even want to play this version of the show, et cetera, et cetera. Here I was, one of the more critical voices in, in well, in the Survivor podcasting sphere, if you're to believe our reviews. Um, and oh, wait. I didn't mind it that much. Like, I genuinely didn't mind the episode that much. Like, was I annoyed that there was yet another twist and not a merge vote? Yeah, but I actually thought it was a decent episode. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. At least narratively, it was interesting and made sense. But that goes back to, like, the divide between, like, the frustrations around the game of Survivor versus Survivor, the television show. Mm. And some people, I don't think, discern the two. But I think often, you know what this reminds me of? It's when people get really mad that there's a really problematic housewife. There'll be like a housewife, like a a Vicky or Ramona or something. And people will be like, they Bravo needs to fire her. And I'm like, no, they don't. Like the fact that you hate her is like the secret sauce of the show. Like firing Megan McCain on the view. It's Megan McCain on the view. It's like fire Megan McCain, fire Megan McCain, Megan McCain leaves the view tanks. Hello. Is it ever? No offense Um, to the view. I, I'm offended by the view. <laughs> Actually, I miss being offended by the view. I should rather yeah. say. Um, no, but it's like this idea of like, you, you you want your villains more than I think a lot of people think. And, I, and so again, with Survivor, sometimes it's sort of like, yes, it, do we want the chaos of the show, it, it the chaos of the, the, the advantages and whatnot? I guess the question is like, it depends, right? Because like, if it begets good television in the end, I'm more inclined to say yes, despite the fact that, like, on the surface, no, I'm not pro-advantage. I think it is part of the thing diluting the the success of the game. But 
uh, if we're going to have them and it makes good television, I'm could be more easily swayed toward their existence. Um, so yeah, I think that last week was entertaining. I think season 44 on the whole has been remarkably entertaining. I know I've said this before, but like this is definitely the best season of Survivor since season 37, like bar none. I also think this is a great, this is the first season that if you are not watching, if you have never watched Survivor before, this is a great entry season to mm -hmm. come into um, just because you're getting those moments like the Danny fart, like the Carolyn being caught, which I think a lot of people that are just, you know, the kind of people that share you know, viral content online, like this season is filled with those moments. I mean, Carolyn, Jam Jam. I mean, there's just, there, characters aside, then you have like the, what's his name? The Matthew falling from the rock, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, there's just, there's a lot of like moments in this, this show that are great. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like the alumni are activated. You know who's really like come out of hibernation? Who? Reed. San Juan del Sur's Reed is like, because he's long been like on the, the thirst trap beat, but I feel like he's uh -huh. back on the survivor beat in a big mm. way. He is like tweeting up. He's showing up at events. Reed is like back in the survivor verse. I'm always very curious, you know, because we talked about this with Parvati when she came on recently, how like, you know, she took some time afterwards to sort of yeah. like consciously step away from the fandom. Yeah. I'm always curious, you know, you have those like staples of the Survivor verse a la, you know, like an Eliza Orleans, but like yeah. you and I have always said, not to give ourselves too much credit, but like since we had Sugar on Drop Your Buffs, Sugar is like all of a sudden back in a big way, tweeting yeah. and, and posting and uh, TBT, blah, blah, Jerry, blah. Jerry. Jerry, another same. great example. And I'm not saying our impact. I'm really not. Because, like, Courtney Yates, like, <laughs> we couldn't swear. She's not watching. <laughs> yeah. But but I'm just saying it's, like, it's interesting who emerges, reemerges, goes away, comes in, is, like, one of those fascinations. Because, obviously, like, you have your staples of the game. And then, obviously, sometimes, like, talking with T-Bird, we're, like, pull someone out that you haven't heard from yeah. in a while. That's different, though, because it's sort of, like, a one-off. But you have these people like Reed where I'm like, wow, he is dipping his toe back in the water. Yeah. I think that there's something to this season being, uh, despite all of its twists and all of its advantages, of which there have been more than any other season up to this point, there is like an old school quality to it that I think can draw people in. And I think it's uh, the wacky characters like Carolyn, the sort of like aloof, more aloof, but in touch character like Carson and Jam Jam. And then you have like a good number of old school like male players, like not that Jam Jam and Carson aren't male, but these like sort of more alpha male types of Brandon and Danny. Like they're more, they're kind of old school to me. Yeah. Where especially, uh, Oh, there was this moment in this episode with Kane where he said, <laughs> he said, wouldn't it be great if we were like the first people to just eliminate the other tribes? I'm like, well, yeah, it did happen in season one and, and season two. And, uh, <laughs> Big part of the show. 
but I, I think what he was getting at was like more in the new school sense of like, what if we just stuck together? Hey, what if an alliance stuck together till the end? Wouldn't that be crazy? Um, and so I think that that's where he was coming from. But I feel like just some of these conversations are just a little bit more basic. And then you have like rookie mistakes in this episode that anybody can come in and watch and and sort of like get invested in or judge or think about or say, I could do that. Uh, where you had uh, with this vote, for example, where it's this Ratu versus Soka war that's going on, which also is another thing. It's like these, despite even there being a swap, the the tribal lines are drawn in the sand. And that's sort of the, or so they say. So I think, uh, yes, well, that's what I want to talk about because you get Brandon coming out of here, leading the, coming out of this immunity challenge, leading a vote against Franny. And in any normal world where it's Ratu versus Soka, you would tell your Ratus that you want to get Franny out. You would tell a couple Tikas maybe, and you would stay silent on the Soka front. But he goes to Danny and tells him that he wants Franny out. Heidi is told. Uh, the Tikas are told. And so it's like we... It's a little of a rookie mistake, it feels, unless there's something we're not understanding about the relationships. Right. Of course, there was the Brandon and Danny bond, so we're to believe, at Advantage Island when they were ignoring Carolyn, that they had to stick together because strong guys don't win this game. Um, and so, like, there may be a reason there that, like, Brandon feels closer to Danny than he than is act- than he actually is. Uh, and that's why he would be telling him about voting out Franny. But, like... I, I don't know. It's like that that's the kind of dynamic that I think is really like easy and fun to watch. Yeah. But I do think this is one of the things lost to the 39 day game is like you wonder like was there a moment on the beach between Brandon and Danny even like game aside where they just bonded as like I'm mm. sure are they both fathers? I imagine they're both I don't know just like the things that like straight men bond about. I don't know like did like were they afforded that opportunity and also just because of the condensed game like how much one-on-one time are people really able to have? I feel like back in the day when you have these entire free days when you're going and collecting firewood or going out and fishing, there's more time just to have conversations that can sway you. I don't know like did Brandon and Danny have any time where they where they were able to strategize together one-on-one or was it just sort of like they had this bonding moment then they come back to the merge tribe and it's sort of like that was sort of you know in a moment but not something that continued over i do feel like being the two (laughs) like i keep in my mind i keep thinking of them as the two straight guys that are left but that's actually not true at all um there are multiple straight guys left but but there's just something that's like they they are like the typical straight guy uh in a way that carson and kane aren't really right um and like you know and jam jam certainly isn't uh, but, uh so uh, th- like they are sort of two of a kind out there and i imagine that they do feel a bond with one another just in terms of like having things to talk about with each other uh that that we are missing maybe from the edit and i think that that would be the case whether it was a 26 or a 39 day mm-hmm. game um and i think that brandon is just misreading that here that friendship as uh alliance right? yes 
Yes. I do also want to uh, bring some attention to Pittsburgh Heidi, yes. who continues to emerge. And I think one of the fun things about this episode, and they got really lucky in that sense, because as we know, Survivor loves the idea of you think the vote's going to go one way, but you really have no idea. But in this instance, you kind of really did have mm -hmm. no idea because... Pittsburgh Heidi made what maybe was a mistake, but what mm -hmm. maybe was something that she got clearance for in advance and was like, I, there's, I have some questions around this. Not that I think that they, like, I think this might've been willfully done, but like in a strategic way. But anyway, this to say, she obviously spills the beans about Danny's idol and to the point where Danny, we see the scene where Danny's like so thrown off that, she revealed this, that he thinks, and rightfully so, that there's a world in which Jam Jam, with the knowledge of Danny's idol, could go share this information and they could blindside Danny. That his his yeah. use of his own idol on Franny um, to sort of could save the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a very real possibility. Yes. But you have to imagine, we, we've been led to believe that like from the outset, Pittsburgh, Heidi, and Danny are a twosome. Yeah. You have to think that, like, she is intelligent enough to know that disclosing this information without the consent of Danny would be a big no-no and would get back to him. That, I, and I also don't even think she would want to do it, like, without his knowledge. That I have to think that he knew about that in some way. I, I don't know, like, was Danny acting in that moment, potentially? Huh. I don't know. There's Interesting just, read. There's something about it that's like, Heidi wouldn't be so, I mean, I don't want to use the word dumb, but Heidi wouldn't be so, yeah. Bold. Bold. Uh, yeah. I, uh, see, like, I tend to think that she did go a little rogue there, but I think the reason she went rogue was because she has a really strong read on Tika being with Soka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's why she would feel comfortable telling Jam Jam and Carson that information about Danny's idol and that he would play it for Franny, like to basically spill the whole plan. Um, it's not even because we often we see things like, well, Danny has an idol and he's going to play it tonight, period. Whether that's for him or whether that's for somebody else, I will leave you to guess. But if you want to be safe, vote with us. Um, but here she's laying out the whole plan. And to me, and she seems like a really smart player. And she's a great confessionalist. She's a great storyteller. Uh, like her point of view is interesting. So I'm surprised it's taken this long for us to see so much of her. But I really liked seeing a lot of her this episode. But that's the thing about Pittsburgh sometimes, you know. Well, yeah. It, yeah, it's not top of mind for everybody. I didn't even know if the Liberty Bell was there or not. It's true. And, <laughs> but once I go, wow, I'm never going to forget it. So I'm going to go in the you know mid-season of my life. No, why don't <laughs> we like do, Heidi we'll do, in the mid -season of we'll 44. do a live show in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm deciding. Okay. Well, well yeah. For like, like. <laughs> just for your family no actually sean you should know that ozzy went to pittsburgh recently for a viewing party with uh bryce and wendell and ozzy told me that it was like packed okay so well we're not bryce and wendell yet but do we have any pittsburgh listeners if we do can i get a, a, a 412 comment uh on the post <laughs> that's our area code sean Using the number emojis. Using the number emojis. 412, or if you're a 724, I'll accept a 724. Okay. 
It's very close to Toronto, 416. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, I just feel like Heidi is too smart from what I've seen to just sort of like blurb that information out without e- either, as you say, having permission from Danny to do so or having the right read right. on where Tika's uh, loyalty lies. Let's call her by her proper name. Sorry, Pittsburgh Heidi. Yeah, I feel like Heidi. I was like, who's Oof. Heidi? Jeez. Heidi is from Amazon. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Jam Jam and Carson in particular because both of them actually end up voting for Franny at Tribal Council. And I think that there's potentially a number of reasons why, but it's interesting because of that conversation that Danny had with Carson where he says, look, I'm going to be playing the idol. Like, just like, please don't tell Jam Jam. And Carson kind of has to go. This is Carson loves spilling tea. This Mm -hmm. is there's been a couple times like when he went to Kane, I believe it was in the merge episode and said, hey, people are saying your name, just so you know. Uh, And then (laughs) to Danny, instead of being like, oh, yeah, I won't tell Jam Jam because Jam Jam's going to end up voting for Franny anyway. So like clearly there's some plan going on right uh but no he goes it's just i think jam jam already knows the plan (laughs) danny sorry uh that's a very (laughs) um gay (laughs) affectation that you're putting (laughs) (laughs) i'm not suggesting that carson's gay i just like i love the way he speaks Mm -hmm. i've really like i as i have told you privately i was like i need to delete the cast assessment episode of this podcast because i was so brutal on especially carolyn and carson and ultimately they're my favorite players this season so Mm. i don't even know what what i I said so i don't know i was just dragging you liked carson actually you liked carson i still like carson i still like carson but like and i know he doesn't listen to this podcast um But, like, the way that Carson exists on Instagram, in particular, Mm -hmm. is, like, you think that he's competing in America's Next Top Model. (laughs) Because the shots that he, like, presents are just really, like, I don't know. It's, like, giving, like, Tyra, it's just there's there's Miss J, there's Miss, yeah, it's there's a lot happening. Nolan, well, he, yeah, he's he's really sh- he's sharing his uh, thirty pound weight gain journey, and he did that post. He did a post where yes. it was a picture of him now and a picture of him two years ago, unrecognizable. You would think it was and a picture you know from if 10 I had years that ago. kind of a transformation, I would be sharing it too. Absolutely, it's just crazy that it's two years. It's giving like here's me at thirteen and here's me at thirty, um, and instead he's like <laughs> here's me last week. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, yeah. Well, that's the thing about being a child. <laughs> yeah. That's a child. That's a child. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, so why do we think that Jam Jam and Carson voted for Franny? The only- Knowing the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing that I can think is that there's a way in which- but this only really works. I was gonna say there's a way in which they are, you know, saving face um, when they go back. But but wouldn't that only serve? But yeah, I, I actually I, I don't know. I don't know. You tell I think me. this is a tricky one. So I've been thinking about this this morning because I went to bed being like I don't know what happened there. So I've been thinking about this this morning. I think there's a couple things that work in everybody's advantage, 
But I think the real winners in this are Jam Jam and Carson. Like I think this was a really, really good move for them because it's good for Danny because it makes his idol play correct. Mm-hmm. Because if Jam Jam and Carson voted with Danny against Brandon, Danny never had to play the idol. They would have had the majority of votes. Brandon would have gone home without an idol play, right? By Jam Jam and Carson voting with the Ratus against Franny, Franny now has the majority of votes, which Danny can negate with his idol, which, as I've said, is the first time this has happened. I think it's the first time someone's played an idol for somebody else who had the majority of votes to go since David versus Goliath, if I'm not mistaken. I think I think I saw that stat on Twitter. So that's significant. That's really significant because this is kind of like a classic play that hasn't happened in a long time because of how sort of complex the uh, uh, landscape of advantages and things have become, uh, and especially in the new era, the way that people use them or, or don't use them. So I think that that's a significant play for Danny. It looks good on Danny's resume. It makes him look good in front of, yes, the one-person jury here, but that one-person jury who is tied to Franny, who is being saved. Like, I think it really works for Danny. And so in that way, Jam Jam and Carson are kind of like, we helped you. We knew that this was going to happen. You know, we knew our votes would be negated and it helped you. It's like meanwhile, um, they can go back and say to Ratu, we voted with you. But were their votes red? Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, like all of the votes for Franny were red. I see. I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. But also, wouldn't that serve to piss off people like Carolyn, for instance, who I imagine Carolyn knew that it was going to happen. Got it. Okay. I think that the Tikas are running this entire show. Thank running this God. Entire season. Yeah. Thank God. And because people see them as pawns and it's like Ratu just wants them to like have the, the, to just boost their, what they believe seem to believe is a majority, but it's not a majority. Uh, they have four votes, um, but they need a couple Tikas just to get them in that majority. Cause I think that Ratu really has this in their head that like they are, uh, they are running this thing. They're going to make it to the end, just like Kane said, by eliminating the other teams. And I feel like they think that they're using Tika. Uh, they have that connection to Carson because Carson swapped over to Ratu. So like there's built in sort of connections there. But Soka and Tika are actually like they're even right now. It's three on three from Soka, three from Tika. And together they make six, which is the actual majority. And so I feel like. Tika is just in such a great spot because they are they have they have these three people that they can split up any which way they want to appear any which way they want, especially in this vote where they know votes are going to get negated. So that coming back, I feel like all of Tika's votes and players, uh, the doors are open for them. Doors are open at Soka. Doors are open at Ratu. They all need them, and they don't have the foresight to realize that. Like, wait a second we're going to be one of us is going to be carrying them to the end and they could end up getting one over on us at the very end. So mm. I, I just feel like this works out for Tika so well because, you know, and, and because of their built in relationships with one another, where it's like Carolyn is so close to Jam Jam. Claire, Carolyn's clearly so close to Carson. Carson's close to Carolyn. I don't know the relationship between Jam Jam and Carson. Like that's something I haven't fully got a grasp on but the three seem to come as a three but are willing to not appear as a three and so i just think they're like they're playing this perfectly i want them in the end 
together. 100%. Could you imagine them as a final three? Yeah, it's just like, but I also want Franny in there. I got it. We got to touch down on Franny real quick. Okay. Well, speaking, I meant to bring this up like half an hour ago when you were talking about iconic moments. So we had the fart from Danny. We had Carolyn in the intestine with Carson sort of like mumbling in the background. I have two iconic moments to add to that, and they are both Franny moments. One of them is when Danny tells Franny that he will play the idol for her. And (laughs) when she says, Danny, you're going to make me cry. It was giving Winona Ryder, like 90s Winona Ryder. That line reading was iconic. I I tweeted it this morning because like I could not stop thinking about it. Mm. Just the facial expression, like she is committed this is emmy award worthy i love love that moment well, I, listen, like i went to bed thinking about that moment i woke up thinking about that moment that moment is staying with me it's canon there is a faction of reality television stars being spearheaded by candace dillard, dillard bassett from the real housewives of potomac that are saying that reality television personalities should be in contention for awards for performance especially when you know, they, a lot of them are delivering performances, you know? Yeah. Uh, who, your girl. Who's your girl? Which girl? Your actress. Helen Glover? No. Oh. <laughs> My actress? I'm a very good actress. Oh, Karen Gradell. Yes. She could get a retroactive award. Oh, she deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award for contributions to the arts. We need to get her on the pod. We'll have her. Let's she have her. She did a talking with T Bird, I think, like last year. Oh, was wow. very good. Let's get her at our Pittsburgh uh, live show. <laughs> Is she from Pittsburgh or? No, but I'm just, we got to fill it out, you know? Okay, okay, okay. We'll see what we can do. Uh, let, before we get to Pittsburgh, we, let's sort out this New York show. Wait, I'm but, getting, I, I've gotten a couple messages being like, so uh, where do I find the details on the watch party? I'm like, the watch party doesn't exist yet. No, like, Sean. It, it exists in our hearts and minds, but it does not exist uh, at a venue. Okay, but York it will. Yet. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying like, there's no information available yet, but stay tuned. Yeah, it's very much a stay tuned. Okay, and then so what is your second Wait, for any uh, moment? Uh, yeah, okay. Thank you for remembering that I had a second one. The second one was after Tribal Council, at the very end of the episode, when they are leaving Tribal Council, you get this moment. And there were so many moments during Tribal of Franny and Matt sharing like giddy glances, which was a little like... It was a little too many for me, but the iconic moment comes at the end of all of them where Franny picks up her torch and glances over at Matt. Again, it was giving like 90s, it was giving like Julia Roberts Mm. and uh, Aaron Brockovich, like a knowing glance. Mm -hmm. And I really, really loved that. So I think Franny's like delivering on the sort of like not vulnerable, but I don't know, sort of like aloof, uh, act like genuine emotion. Yeah, I mean, there's also something really gratifying about the fact that it was confirmed um, last week by Matt that the two of them are yes. still together. I think yes. it would feel very different if that wasn't the case because there's something about the fact that like, this is not a showman's. This is something that was yeah. a genuine connection built on the island that continues. And I think it's really rare. You know, I think about this showman's um, on Big Brother that happened after the fact between the winner of the last season, Taylor Hale, and this guy, Joseph, who we, we've we actually posted him on the Drop Your Buffs account. He did that gym mm-hmm. selfie with Xander, the one that 
I believe there's like a total of like 26 abs featured in that photo of the two of them. It's it's really. Can remarkable. I say like just to interject? Famously, I met him at the Survivor 44 premiere party. I had no idea who mm. he was, but I was like, oh, like I know that I know he's on something. Mm. He must be on Big Brother, yeah, because he is literally gorgeous. Yeah, hot, hotty, hot. Um. But the thing is, they have no romantic chemistry. Like, they didn't have any romantic chemistry really on the show. And she is iconic, but, like, he's not. This is sort of satisfying because, like, they both have an iconography tied to their romance. And the fact that, like, how rare is it that you get, like, two extremely likable people on the show who happen to like one another? I feel like this just has a formula that we don't often see. I mean, I think about, like... With Rob and Amber, <laughs> it's like an example. It's like, I don't think viewers were like really invested in that relationship in a way that I feel like we are invested in the two of them. I mean, yeah. maybe they'll have four kids, uh, four little girls that will, uh, you know, be brought into the world. The, the I mean, I'm really here for like well, where- Aren't they broken up? Oh, sorry. Fra- I thought we were talking still on the Big Brother relationship. Yeah, no, no. Fra- Wait, did Matt. Taylor yeah. and Joseph break up? Yeah, they broke up. They I did. thought that's what you were getting at. No. Yeah, they broke up like yesterday. I mean, I don't think they were ever dating. Um, um, wow, they broke up yesterday. Yeah, or they announced it. Aye, aye, aye. Um, they are really <laughs> one in some PR. Um, it's it, the, it is interesting because the Big Brother fandom does not have like so when Big Brother is on, it's the loudest fandom ever. But like off season, it's big hibernation, and so watching Big Brother players try and remain relevant is very different than survivor <laughs> players because also yeah. survivor <laughs> players tend to like understand that like their place is within the survivor verse whereas i see a lot of big brother stars this is no shade but i see a lot of big brother stars like angling for a kind of like dipping their toe into other fandoms in an effort to like latch on um a lot of like big brother players tweeting about um, love is blind for instance um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but maybe they're just like us they're fans um, I yeah. get it. Um, but anyway, but going back, I just think that there's a quality about Franny. She, yeah, I think it's what you sort of spoke to, which is that like, yeah, it's like that le- the vulnerability is an ingredient in all of it, but just that genuine, I felt like when she was explaining how she really felt out on an island now that she didn't have her biggest ally there, I felt that from her, not yeah. just in what she was saying. And I also like understood fundamentally what it would feel like to be in this already isolating situation and then to have this person who was sort of your rock throughout all of it taken away and in a moment when you didn't even think that that was like a possibility i'm sure it seemed very likely like that they had a long game ahead of them and he's just gone all of a sudden um that would be really frightening so i just there's the rooting for franny you know aspect to to the watch so it it becomes complicated right because it's like i'm really rooting for carolyn i'm really rooting for jam jam i'm really rooting for carson and i am also at once really rooting for franny and so by proxy i'm sort of like and also my girl pittsburgh heidi so i need i really want this six to stay together my ideal scenario because it just so happens this is the funny thing about how this season has played out it's like tika are my girlies you know what I mean? And then it's like you mm-hmm. have this second tribe, which is, I, I don't know the tribe name. Do you? Soka. Soka, who I'm kind of like really like mid to high on. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all people that I like, because I really do like Danny. I think he's brought a lot to this season. And then you have this other tribe where it's like this Brandon vote, for instance. I'm like, great. Like, line them up. Let's yeah. get them out one by one. Um, yeah. 
So it's sort of a this other tribe, which which their name is Ratu, but I have to say that Jam Jam opened the episode calling them Rotu. I get it. The iconic tribe of Survivor Marquesas. I get it. Now I have to say, I'm just going to tease this right now. I just got a little voice memo that just dropped in my inbox right now that is pertinent to a conversation that we are going to have with our guest tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. Does it have anything to do with Rotu? No, it just, it literally came as we're having this conversation. Oh, so so it's here. It's here. I'm just, no, it literally, that's why I mentioned it. Just a little tease. Let's tease it because we have, we, we are interviewing tomorrow. So it'll be available sometime uh, next week, earlier for patrons, um, but on the main feed by late next week. The most, I am confident in saying, the most highly requested interview since we started. So many of you might know the answer just by that clue because you've been requesting And then the person Um, that's calling in is the most obvious person that would call in for the most requested guest, uh, who's also going to be someone I think people would be excited to hear from. But anyway, yes. but just to go back, so I feel like uh, I'm really fine with all of Ratu, you know, moving off. So my hope would be that they Pagong the Ratu tribe, and then we kind yeah. of duke it out with this six, and then which will be ironic because that's what Kane yes. thought that the Ratu yes, tribe yes, would yes. be doing. And then at that the point, guys. I'm sort of like. I can get rid of Danny, and then I've got my Tikas, and then my my girl Franny, my girl Pittsburgh Heidi, and then I'm happy. Mm. Because one thing that I think is worth noting is, you know, we've had a lot of discussion about, you know, all of the women that were eliminated systematically, you know, in the beginning. I do think the conversation is made more complex if in the end we get a ton of women. Because it's sort of like yeah. the trade-off of, yes, I don't, don't get me wrong, I am not <laughs> endorsing the fact that we have the situation in which women are typically these early, early boots, but there is something to be said if in the end we get a ton. I, 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 again, I'm not saying it it's all so simple, um, but I think it would be really validating to a lot of us who are like, what the fuck, if in the end it's like, well, all of those men that were running the ship went wham, bam, boom in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's interesting here that speaking of men going home, with Brandon going home, who, by the way, Maddie, my girl Maddie, tried to get Brandon out in the very first episode. This is the first tribal council that Brandon has attended where he has been eligible to receive votes, essentially. Or like, I mean, in the first one, he was eligible to receive votes, but he had a hidden immunity idol and played Mm -hmm. it. So he was safe. This is the first tribal council that Brandon attended where he was vulnerable against votes, period. And it's episode eight, and they got him out. So, hey, in episode one, he saved himself from the idol. In episode eight, he was idled out. Yeah. Love that story for him. I do just want to say, too, before before we go, I do think at this point, and largely because of Lauren's win in this episode at the Immunity Challenge, I do feel like we are going into a situation now, I think there's nine players remaining, yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're like, we know all nine of these players. Like, no one is really purpled. Obviously, I think Lauren is like probably the least seen character amongst them, but she really got a shining moment in this episode. Kane has kind of been this presence throughout, all admittedly a little bit more quiet. I would say, if anything, the one player that we've been losing lately is Jamie. Yeah. Um, but I still do feel like I have a clear sense of Jamie. Um, and I get the sense she's like, ready to emerge soon um and i've she's pulling out the lularoe leggings at tree mail real soon i'm she's gonna start selling ready for it um 
But I got to say, like, as far as like, I just think we're really primed for a really exciting back half this season. And it's already been an incredibly exciting season. And like, I I mean, it's going to be hard to watch moving forward because I'm going to get to a place I I think where I'm going to be, it's going to be, you know, um, I'm going to be distraught no matter who goes. But I, I'm confident in thinking that we're going to love our winner. I hope so. I think like we're going to get a winner to really get excited about. Yeah. Yeah. And my God, if it's Carolyn, it's just like, I think I know. Carolyn's got a lot of good press in her, like a lot of good. But I feel like it was you last week who said you almost hope she doesn't win so she can return. And like, I feel, I feel that way as well. Like I do feel, I, I, I feel like, the odds are so stacked against her. I don't feel that her fellow players respect her. Totally. Enough to vote for her in the end, especially over, say, a Carson. So Carolyn would be someone really interesting in that because I think people's perception of her on the island versus how the audience received her is mm-hmm. so different. Yeah, I think Carolyn's experience coming back on the show and also no doubt her perspective on herself has changed as a result of seeing how beloved she is. I think that would be so interesting to like watch her come back yes. to the game. Yeah. Feel like with this truly all-star status that she and her fellow contestants were completely unaware of. Like I I don't yeah. even think that like even her kookiness, I don't even think is something that I mean at least from what we're seeing, they're not entirely picking up on um the way that we the audience are. So yes, but to your yeah. point, um uh, I I would say give Carolyn the win. Let's do winners at war two and okay. actually bring in Todd and Vesepia and Earl and like actually do it right. And also some returning players from the original winners at war, but mm-hmm. like let's just winners at war redux. And you know, it's funny we're having that conversation because there's rumblings right now in the drag race universe of a possible all winners mm. too, because and drag race is sort of at an advantage because there are so many international formats that there are so many winners, but there were a lot of iconic American winners that were not included in their all winner season. And I think Survivor has a similar situation, albeit some of these winners weren't even contracted the first time around. So I don't know. But in an ideal world, we get Carolyn winning and then back for all winners too, or we get Carolyn winning season 44 and then we bring her back for season 50 for the legend season. Yeah. Okay. Cause the legend season will be, will include, will include winners. Sure. Of course. As it should. I mean, quite a few winners. Many. I gotta say, sorry, real quick though, for the legend season, we got to bump up. We're, we're doing more than 20 cast members. Sure. I think maybe we're doing, I, Maybe, yeah, I don't know, maybe more. What if we did one of those shows, you know that show that was canceled that was going to have 100 people on an island or whatever? Oh, maybe we uncancel like, it. Like Squid Game. Okay. I don't know if I could get 100 legends. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably come close. I It would be- You'd be surprised. It'd be tiered, though. Yeah. But- uh, We're, we're, we're going to have 49 seasons to choose from, two from each season. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, some of them are returning player seasons, but hey, then we get we get to double dip. Yeah, I think it's doable. Okay, well, we'll we'll, we'll put that on the whiteboard. Speaking of legends, I 
don't want to end this podcast without acknowledging the passing of Keith Nail, which was so uh, sudden and unexpected and sad because Keith was such an icon of Survivor. I think like definitely up there for the legend season, in my opinion. I think he's one of my favorite straight men to play the game and was so important to me as a character in his seasons of 29 and 31, where I thought that the show by that point had been something that was I was drifting away from. And then 29 was such an incredible season. And you had this character that came in that on paper, like I just would never vibe with a sort of like Southern all-American guy. And then he turns out to be this sort of like big-hearted, lovable, inclusive, interesting, funny player who gets really far, like gets down to the final four uh, in San Juan del Sur, and then comes back in 31 and gives us so many iconic moments there. So uh, I do feel like Keith's time on Survivor wasn't at an end. Keith's life was cut short, so short, uh, tragically, and uh, he will be missed. And so very sad news from the survivor world absolutely and there's some really beautiful and heartfelt tributes from a lot of players of the game and especially from those people that played with him but yeah i mean i feel like he will absolutely be missed and to your point it's like i feel like he had another season in him so it's particularly um sad hopefully maybe at some point wes will come back and play in honor of his father um I don't know if I'm like hankering for Wes back on my screen, but I think it'd be, I don't know, maybe like, you know what, if we had a reunion, it would be nice to, I I hope that the show honors him. I know they did the Instagram posts and everything, but it's like, I think Mm -hmm. there would be a way to really honor Keith and what players like Keith bring to the game. Because to your point about like the expectation of what someone like Keith would be like and then who he actually was, I feel like that's one of the great things about Survivor as a show, right? Is that like, yes, we talk a lot about like, the straight audience being introduced to like LGBTQ plus characters, but on the on the inverse of that, there are the LGBTQ viewers like us that have this idea of like, that might look at someone like a Keith and make a lot of assessments about who he is as a person that are not true. So I actually mm-hmm. think that like, yeah, Keith is a, a real great example of like the kind of, um, the kind of people that I think are fun to watch on the show. And this idea that like, yeah. you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, so he will absolutely be missed. Also, real quick, before we go, I just want to call attention to this fabulous feud happening on Twitter between Carolyn and Russell Hance. Um, yes. It's really, really entertaining. I know there's a <laughs> faction of people that are like, I don't, I never want to see Russell Hance on my timeline. I get it, but it's fun to watch him be just like utterly destroyed. And the ratioing yeah. of Carolyn, uh, the, the the likes that she's got versus, you know, his comments. And yes, I know he's doing it for attention, but like, I think this is a fun feud to watch because she's knocking him out um, and she's having a good time doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know about her saying, like, I preferred your nephew anyway. I actually prefer Russell over the nephew. But, yeah. but I get where she's got, like, she, she she is poking at an insecurity that he has. I get yes. that. Yes, so that's definitely fun. I definitely want to encourage people <laughs> to tune in. Now, for today's emoji, in honor of Keith Nail, there is a nail emoji. Um, but if you... Sw- well, not the tuk-tuk? You don't want to do the tuk-tuk? What's tuk-tuk? The little, like, moped that he drives? Uh, I'm unfamiliar. Okay, so like I, it's so go to the go to the drop your post of Keith Nail swipe. Uh, he has an iconic scene from season thirty one where they all get drunk at a reward, and then he starts driving around the tuk tuk or tuk tuk. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, he drives all the contestants around in it, and 
That was like one of his shining moments on Survivor. I feel like that would be a good one. As opposed to a nail, which is a little like... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to hijack that. <laughs> okay. Um, there. Well, you have it. Sean has come up with our emoji. <laughs> Uh, yes, for Keith Nail, who's hopefully riding a tuk-tuk in the sky, the great tuk-tuk in the sky. Uh, okay, with that, well, we gave away our Black Widow Brigade signed by Parvati t-shirts yesterday. Uh, one of them went to RoxFox85 on Instagram, and the other went to Alan Swanson, who is a patron of Drop Your Buffs. Hey, it pays to be a patron. Not only are you going to get uh, entered into things you did. He was like, I didn't even know I was getting entered. Uh, not only can you be surprised by uh, free Drop Your Buffs merch signed by Parvati, um, but you will also get uh, exclusive content like video interviews with our guests, including our upcoming guests tomorrow. Uh, you'll be the first to receive that, uh, as well as our past guests and exclusive episodes, including our upcoming rewatch of Survivor Panama. So you can check out oh, our yeah. Patreon at the link in the show notes here. Uh, and then you can follow us on Instagram at Drop Your Buffs Pod. You can follow us on Twitter too at Drop Buffs Pod, I believe. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, with that, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.